While we are smack dab in the middle of the tunnel vision story, there have been recent developments in the Stacy Peterson case that require our immediate attention. As such, Defense Diaries will be covering the incredible developments that are occurring hourly regarding a case that has left a young mother without justice and her family without closure for going on 15 years. Now, if you follow our podcast, you know and understand that we consider ourselves to be victims' advocates, first and foremost. Yes, we tell gut-wrenching stories of cases that are beyond devastating and which have left families in ruins. And yes, I am a criminal defense attorney turned podcaster. But making the victims known and memorialized while telling their stories is of the utmost importance to us. So while we will be continuing to proceed with the Garcia case, we will also be covering what we consider to be a historic event. If you are not familiar with Stacey Peterson and her convicted murderer husband, Drew Peterson's story, this is the Cliff Notes version of the tragic story of not just Stacey, but also of Peterson's third wife, Kathleen Savio. Drew Peterson was born January 5th of 1954. He married his first wife, Carol Brown, in 1974, and shortly thereafter joined the Army for a two-year tour. He was training to become a military police officer, and in 1977, he moved back to Illinois and became a police officer with the Bolingbrook Police Department. He had two sons with Carol named Stephen and Eric. In 1980, Carol divorced him because she found out that he was cheating on her. In 1982, Peterson married his second wife, Vicki Conley. While still a Bolingbroke cop, Peterson helped her operate a bar in Romeoville, Illinois. Vicki withstood a physically and mentally abusive marriage for 10 years. The final straw for Vicki is when Peterson began dating Kathleen Savio, who would become his third wife. That divorce was finalized in 1992. Before the ink on the dissolution of marriage to Vicki Connolly was dried, Peterson married Kathleen Savio in May of 1992. Kathleen gave birth to two sons, Thomas and Christopher, during her marriage to Peterson. In 2003, Savio divorced Peterson. During the pendency of the divorce, the cops were called to the home 18 times for domestic disputes between Kathy and her husband. She divorced him because he was abusive and he was a philanderer, as he was cheating on Kathy with who would turn out to be his fourth wife, Stacy. On March 4th of 2004, Kathleen Savio was found dead in her bathtub in what used to be the marital home of the Petersons. There was no water found in the tub. Her death was brought before a coroner's jury in order to determine if her cause of death was accidental or if it was a homicide. The coroner's jury, which included a fellow officer who knew Drew Peterson and who proceeded to assure the other jurors that Drew was a good guy, that would never kill or hurt his wife, ultimately found that Kathleen's cause of death was accidental drowning. Now, prior to Kathleen's death, Peterson married Stacy Ann Kales, who was a 19-year-old hotel receptionist in October of 2003. Peterson had two more kids with Stacy, Anthony and Lacey, and Stacy also adopted Kathleen's two sons after her death and raised them as their own. Stacy's sister Cassandra was waiting for Stacy to give her a call. That call never came, and Cassandra never saw or heard from her sister ever again. Peterson was brought in for questioning, and he told both the Illinois State Police and FBI investigators that Stacy had called him around 9 p.m. on October 28th of 2007, and that she had told him that she was leaving him for another man, 
and that she had left her vehicle at Clow International Airport in Bolingbrook. Yeah, the woman who had adopted two of Peterson's kids from another marriage and had two of her own just up and decided to abandon her children for some mystery man? Wow, nice story. Four search warrants were issued on Peterson's property, and nothing of evidentiary value was found during any of the searches. In December of 2007, Peterson announced his retirement from the police force. He was a sergeant at that time. The question was, despite the fact that his fourth wife was missing and his third wife had died under suspicious circumstances, would the police pension board allow him to collect his 6K pension? As he had not been convicted of a felony, or any crime for that matter, they decided that they would. The investigation into Stacy's disappearance goes cold, and it wasn't until a friend of Peterson's named Rick Mims sold his story to a tabloid, wherein he described a time when he accompanied Peterson to purchase three large blue plastic containers in 2003, the very same year that Kathy had died. Another man named Thomas Morphy, who was Peterson's stepbrother, Two days after he allegedly helped Peterson move one of these blue plastic containers out of the marital home and into Peterson's SUV, attempted suicide, as he feared that he had just helped Peterson dispose of Stacy's body. These two men coming forward, combined with the disappearance of Stacy Peterson just two weeks prior, convinced James Glasgow, the state's attorney of Will County, to order that Kathleen Savio's death be reopened, and he convened a special grand jury to investigate her death. Her body was exhumed, and a second autopsy was performed. The fact that three years had passed since Kathleen's death created a concern about the condition of Kathleen's remains. Kathleen's body, as it turned out, was able to relay its secrets to forensic pathologist Dr. Larry Bloom, who performed the autopsy and delivered his findings to Glasgow on February 17th of 2008. His findings were that the cause of death was drowning and that the legal manner of death was homicide. Remember. The bathtub was empty when she was discovered. The report showed that Kathleen had suffered extensive bruising and had a large gash on her skull. Finally, on May 7th of 2009, the special grand jury issued a two-count indictment for first-degree murder, and Peterson was arrested and taken into custody. His bond was set at $20 million, which in Illinois means that he had to come up with $2 million to bond out, as Illinois only requires that 10% of the bond amount must be posted in order to bond out. Peterson, who had hired Joe Brodsky after the special grand jury had been convened, soon thereafter hired high-profile attorney Joe the Shark Lopez to join the team. Now, this trial was absolutely stunning, and we will get into it in the very near future, but this is not the time for that. One incredible aspect of the trial that I do want to talk about briefly now is a new law that was established in Illinois called Drew's Law, which allows for hearsay evidence so that wives can speak from beyond the graves through friends' and family's testimony at trial. The statute states that prosecutors may present statements made by unavailable witnesses if they can prove, one, that the defendant murdered the witness, two, they can show that the statements are reliable, and three, that the best interests of justice will be served by allowing the statements into evidence. It really is a stunning law, as during the trial, the testimony of Reverend Neil Shorey was allowed in as evidence and his testimony was unbelievable. He stated that Stacy had told him in confidence that she had woken up in the middle of the night, the night that Kathleen was murdered, and that Drew wasn't in bed with her. In the early morning hours, Stacy continued on telling him that she had seen Drew remove all of his clothes, which were all black, and then empty the contents of a separate bag 
into their washing machine. The Reverend then testified that Stacy flat out told him that Drew told her that he had killed Kathleen and went as far as to teach her how to lie to the police if they ever questioned her. The second witness that absolutely sealed Peterson's fate was Kathleen Savio's former divorce attorney, a man named Harry Smith, who testified that Stacy had consulted him and was seeking a divorce from Drew and had asked Smith if the fact that Drew had murdered Kathleen could be used as leverage in the divorce. So Peterson was convicted ultimately of killing his third wife, Kathleen Savio, and was sentenced to 38 years in prison. But the craziness does not stop there. In November of 2014, a fellow inmate named Antonio Smith, who was also being housed in Menard Correctional Facility, was approached by Peterson about putting a hit out on state's attorney James Glasgow, the state's attorney. The inmate went to the prison officials who alerted law enforcement, who then had Smith wear a wiretap to record his conversations with Peterson. Smith ultimately got Peterson on recording, agreeing to hire Smith's uncle to kill Glasgow right before Christmas of 2014. Smith asked him if that's what he wanted because there's no turning back. And Peterson responded, quote, okay, all right, I'm in, end quote. Glasgow, of course, charged Peterson with the murder for hire scheme. He went to trial and was convicted in May of 2016. He was then sentenced to an additional 40 years. And here's a pause for a worthy cause. Hey, uh, Bob. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, not much, man. Do you remember that present I got my mom for Mother's Day? Yeah, uh, story worth, right? Totally. I thought it would be kind of a cool thing, um, you know, because it's like for, I don't know, maybe the past 20 years, I've been getting my dad basically the same thing every year. I get him a couple of books, uh, you know, or I'll get him something, you know, alcohol related, like a, a martini mixer and some martini glasses, or, you know, it's always just like the same thing. Like, I don't want any more books, Bob. I don't, Bob, Bob, I've read this one already. <laughs> uh, so, you know, with the one exception, I think I got him one of those, um, like one of, because he doesn't have GPS in his car, like installed. So I, I got him, and he was starting to get lost coming out to the house. So I got him, went out and bought him like a three hundred dollar like GPS thing for the car. I can't make that lady tell me where to go, Bob. Dude, that's exactly what it was. I can't, <laughs> I can't get it to talk. I'm like, well, there's, there's still the picture, Dad. It can still, it can still lead you, and you know, if you bring it out, I'll. So whatever, man, guy, you know, it, it's basically like a uh, coaster now or whatever the hell you'd use. Paperweight? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's essentially that. So, so yeah, to answer your question, I think um, story worth would be kind of a, an awesome thing because I, I don't know about you, but my, my dad's pretty much told me the same 15 to 20 stories like my entire life. 15 to 20 seems like a lot for my father. Yeah, I mean, my dad, like he's got these stories that are locked in that like, you know, I've just been hearing the same ones on repeat for, well, you know, probably 45 years since I can remember him telling me stories. Nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like- there's you were like 20? Yeah, there's this alien <laughs> encounter uh, that, you know, that I've heard many, many times. Um, his giant jackrabbit story from when he was in the Air Force in, in New Mexico. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. No, I have so it's many for, questions. I don't want to bore, you know. Yeah, it's, it, it, nobody would be bored, but it's for a different day. You know what I mean? StoryWorth is an online service that helps you you know, and your dad in this case, connect through sharing stories and memories. And what it does is it preserves them for years to come because it's fluid. You know, they're like on a monthly basis, what happens basically 
is they have a catalog of questions, like unusual questions, not your basic questions, you know, some real kind of thought provoking stuff. And you can kind of choose in, in, in advance what questions you'd like your father to answer. And then what happens is they log into the portal, they see what the question is, and they spend some time answering it. So it's pretty cool. And then, of course, they compile it all. And, you know, eventually when you get like enough going, they actually send you like a, like a, a book, you know, or you have access to a book um, where they've compiled all of the answers. And, you know, and it's cool, you know, because those are things that, like, obviously, my dad's not telling my kids the same stories he was telling me. So you can accidentally get to know your father on purpose. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. And, you know, like, have you enjoyed, um, you know, the stuff that your mom's done? I know I it's only been a month. I haven't read any of them yet. Oh, come on, dude. I'm giving her some, I'm giving her some space, you know? Oh, you're, you're, you're like, her some space. are you like one of those people that, like, likes to have, like, episodes of a pod build up so that they can binge? Is that kind of the same concept? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I, would, I would probably do that at least. So, yeah, like I, I think to be exact, and you've got time because like after a year, what they do is they compile all the questions and the stories and they include photos and they make a, a beautiful keepsake book for the whole family and they send it to you. So you it goes from being like kind of an online service to where you've got something tangible that you can like it literally. blossoms into a meaningful gift. You know, look, we're three weeks out from Father's Day. You know, if you're sick of getting your dad the same thing, we'll change the game a little bit, you know, like up the game a little Flip bit. Flip the script. Flip the script and do something a little bit different, something that's going to really kind of end up being something that memorializes who your father was during the course of his life. So it's really kind of a cool concept. Blossoms into a meaningful gift. I love it. I love it. So at the end of the day, give all your fathers in your life a meaningful gift that you can both cherish for years to come. Story worth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save 10 bucks on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash defense. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash defense to save 10 bucks on your first purchase. What do you think of that? Um, it's pretty sweet. All right. Well, it's $10 cheaper. I, you know, I, and I'm really kind of taking you off the hook for your dad, too. It's like I just made your Mother's Day and Father's Day gift giving so easy. You are welcome. You're welcome. So go to storyworth.com slash defense. Make something memorable happen for both you and your dad. For 10 bucks less. For 10 bucks less. Talk Bye. to you later. Bye-bye. Now we're going to fast forward to 2022. Drew Peterson has recently filed a new Post-Conviction Relief Act petition seeking a new trial based on allegations that his former attorneys were ineffective during his murder trial. That petition is currently being litigated. In the meantime, on May 17th of 2022, Joel Brodsky, Peterson's former lead counsel, decided to go on a local news station and give an interview. Within that interview, he declares that he knows where Stacy's remains are, and he's contemplating releasing the information to Stacy's sister Cass and law enforcement. On the 18th of May, at about 6 p.m., Brodsky is served with an emergency motion that is seeking a gag order against him which would prohibit him from discussing what he knows about Stacy's murder and her location with anybody other than his attorney. At the hearing being held in the Will County Courthouse, Judge Bermilla refused to allow Brodsky to be heard. Now, I've been tweeting about the developments for the past two days on our Twitter account, which is at defense underscore diaries. You should check that out because we've given a lot of information on there. And the number one question that's being asked is whether or not Brodsky is allowed to divulge the information that Peterson purportedly told him back when he represented him. 
Now, the first thing to know is that attorney-client privilege is not a law instituted for disclosing client secrets. Instead, what it is, is an ethical tenant that lawyers are mandated to abide by, and which is regulated by the Attorney Registration and Discipline Committee. So if Brodsky spills the beans, it would be the ARDC, not the court system, that could potentially disbar him, and he would forever be forbidden from practicing law again. As this is the most sacrosanct ethical rule that exists for attorneys, lawyers disclosing their clients' secrets is incredibly rare. Now, the judge was very clear in that his 42 years that he has never heard of such a blatant ethical violation, as that privilege is the bedrock of the attorney-client relationship, and that he felt that merely by Brodsky stating that on TV, that it should be construed as a threat by Brodsky, and further, that Brodsky's statement that he may disclose his client's secrets may in fact prove that Brodsky was actually ineffective at the time of trial. During the hearing, the judge asked the state if they were opposing the defense's motion, and they answered that they were not in opposition. On its face, you might be thinking that the state should absolutely oppose the motion because they want Brodsky to talk, because then the body could be located and Peterson could finally be charged with Stacy's death. However, the state will not allow themselves to be on the record saying that they are in support of an attorney breaking the most sacred of all ethical rules. Furthermore, if Peterson were to win this motion based on Brodsky's actions and was granted a new trial because of it, it would create a very messy situation. Ultimately, the judge granted the defense's motion and Brodsky was ordered to stay silent to everyone about his representation of Peterson and what he learned about Kathleen and Stacy's deaths. Now, from a strictly legal perspective, it is my opinion that the decision to potentially break privilege to disclose where Stacy's remains are located attacks the bedrock of the attorney-client relationship. Our clients have to feel 100% secure in the fact that whatever they tell us is literally in the vault forever. If that concept is continually broken by attorneys, the entire judicial system is in serious trouble. Now remember, if you've listened to the Gacy season, we explained early on that Gacy had waived privilege with his attorneys because that was how he expected his attorneys to earn their fees, either through a book or a movie deal. That's how we were able to play the tapes for you guys during the first season. As we also explained with respect to season two, Tunnel Vision, that I, as Anthony Garcia's attorney, was not concerned about breaking privilege because Garcia had always maintained his innocence and never made any inculpatory statements to any of his lawyers. Here, we have a very different situation. We have Peterson, who continually claims publicly that he is innocent of both Kathy's death and has nothing to do with Stacy's disappearance. However, his defense attorney is telling us that Peterson had confessed everything to him in great detail. This is as privileged as a conversation between an attorney and a client can get. But Brodsky is arguing that Drew Peterson effectively waived attorney-client privilege twice. First, when he went on Dateline trashing Brodsky, stating that his defense attorney's ineffectiveness caused the public to believe that he murdered both Kathy and Stacy, and then again in his Post-Conviction Relief Act petition. Here's the thing. When a client publicly attacks their attorney, that attorney has the right to defend themselves. And Brodsky's position is that the best way to defend himself against Peterson's accusations is to reveal that Peterson admitted to killing both women to him. Now, while I firmly believe that it's a valid argument, 
I also believe that the ARDC will make an example of Brodsky and will pull his ticket. And you know what? He's at peace with that because after 15 years, his concern is that Stacy gets justice and her sister gets closure. It's an admirable position for him to take. And in light of the fact that he is more likely than not giving up the profession that he has given 30 plus years of his life to, it has to be commended. Now, I personally attended yesterday's emergency hearing with Joel Brodsky, not as his attorney, but instead to provide him with moral support. It's hard to describe just exactly how difficult this entire event has been for him, as he will and he does have criminal defense experts hammering him for even thinking about divulging Drew's secrets, even if it's being done to the benefit of Stacy and her sister Cassandra. Now, I had advised Joel that I was concerned about him going public about his desire to come forward for exactly the reasons which ended up transpiring. So once Brodsky received the motion, he began trying to understand just exactly how a Will County court had jurisdiction over him. He is not a part of the case. He is neither the victim nor the defendant, and he's not counsel on the case anymore. So for all intents and purposes, he is a private citizen. So how exactly does the court think that it has either subject matter or personal jurisdiction over him? The simple answer is that it doesn't. Subject matter jurisdiction is what gives a particular court the power to hear a specific claim in that court. The court must have jurisdiction in order to enter a valid, enforceable order. Here, we are talking about a gag order over someone who is not a party to litigation. Remember, attorney-client privilege has never been codified in Illinois, meaning it has never been transformed into an enforceable statute, like all the laws that lawyers argue about every day in court. Those are statutes that have been drafted and have gone through the process of being ratified as law. This happens at the legislative level. So if someone is being charged with first-degree murder, they're being charged pursuant to the homicide statute. And the state must prove each and every element contained within that statute in order to secure a conviction. Here, there exists no statute at all with respect to a lawyer exposing his client's secrets. That is handled exclusively by the ARDC, which regulates attorneys' conduct as it pertains to their ethical duties and the Supreme Court of Illinois, which is ultimately who decides whether or not to pull someone's card and disbar them. So with no statute in place, Judge Bermilla and the Will County Courts do not have subject matter jurisdiction. This hearing should never have occurred. An even more clear-cut reason on why I believe this gag order is invalid is because Drew Peterson has never been charged with any crime related to Stacy Peterson. And Brodsky has only publicly stated that he was thinking about revealing Peterson's secrets about Stacy, not Kathleen. What this means is that Peterson and his current lawyers did not have the standing to ask the court to gag Brodsky's ability to speak about Stacy. The order also triggers a First Amendment freedom of speech issue, and in particular, an issue of prior restraint, which is a judicial suppression of material that would be published or broadcast on the grounds that it's either libelous or harmful. And to quote one of my favorite movies of all time, the Supreme Court has roundly rejected prior restraint. So back to the courtroom. As I sat in the well of the court with Brodsky yesterday and the judge calls the case, the lawyers for Peterson and the state stepped up. And when Brodsky attempted to step up, as after all, it was a motion that had been filed with 12 hours notice to Brodsky, 
that was seeking to have a court of law enter an order forbidding him to speak about Stacy, the judge told him to sit down and that he was not going to be able to participate. Brodsky followed the judge's instructions and sat down and watched helplessly as the judge attacked him for even thinking about disclosing Peterson's secrets. And he ultimately entered an order making it impossible without being held in contempt of court for Brodsky to help Stacy and her family. Brodsky proceeded to walk out of the courthouse and make a statement to the press, not knowing exactly what the order prohibited, which was that he was forbidden from talking about his representation of Peterson with respect to both Kathy and Stacy to anyone other than his lawyer. Now we're going to play the entire interview and the sound is kind of rough because I was outside recording it on my phone, but Darren will do what Darren does and try to clean it up as much as possible. Hopefully it's something that you guys can hear out there. The medium is the message, right? So what? You guys ask the question. You're in recording. Okay. You're, aren't you under a gag order? And you just walked up to reporters. Yeah, I did. There's like I'm a gag, a gag order from talking about uh, uh, my, rep- my representation of Drew Peterson uh, for now. But let me. But I mean, uh, this order is is, absolutely, is void on its face. First of all. The court, as the court acknowledged, it doesn't have jurisdiction over me. And a court order where it doesn't have jurisdiction is not binding. It doesn't, it, it doesn't stop anybody. Uh, second of all, and what this is very important, when Drew filed his motion, his pro se motion, uh, I think back in December, and even in this, again, in this motion, uh, he says that, uh, that he is not guilty of, uh, of either Stacy uh, Stacy's uh, disappearance murder or Kathy's disappearance uh, Kathy's murder, uh, and that if the reason he was convicted is because of my ineffective assistance. Okay, the, the law is clear. Okay, rule one. You know, and, and the judge's ignorance of this basic law is just mind-boggling. Rule one point six b five. That a lawyer base says, and it's in legalese, but what it says is that where a, a client makes an untrue charge against a lawyer, the privilege is waived as to the subject matter of that uh, statement. And the lawyer can say whatever he needs to say to defend himself. Second of all, as the judges point, well, let's wait till they hear it. The committee comment, the Supreme Court's own comments to Rule 1.5, 1.6b5, uh, its comment 10 says, the lawyer's right to respond arises when the insertion has been made. It doesn't have to wait for a hearing. In fact, it says that. It does not require a lawyer to await the commencement of the action. He can do it as soon as the accusation is made. Drew did this on national TV. He waived his privilege as to the subject of uh, of Stacy's uh, uh, Stacy's uh, disappearance, he waived his privileges to Kathy's, uh, you know, de- uh, you know, murder. He's uh, done that. So uh, I have. There is no privilege. Okay. Second of all, to not even let me bring these points up in court is beyond comprehension. And and thir- uh, third of all, um, 
you know, uh, to not to, you know, to to say basically, uh, as he said in court, that to make these allegations, the, the, he acknowledges that is waived. So what are we what are we doing? Sir, and the last point is this, and this is very important. This is Kathy Savio's murder. It has nothing to do with Stacey Peterson. This court has no authority, no standing to get into well, anything about Stacy? Who hasn't been charged with Stacy's murder? There's nothing at all uh, for me to, uh, for him. He has no authority to do it. He's not the enforcer of the rules. The uh, Supreme Court of the ARDC is. So, you, you, I mean, it's amazing. You won't even let me uh, address the court about the issue. You almost escorted you out of the courtroom. Well, because I was trying to assert my rights. You know, last thing I want to have is some appellate court later on and say, well, Brodsky was in court. He didn't say anything. So I wanted to make sure that my objective objections were stowed on the record whether you know if he, he didn't like that you know uh, believe me uh, there's no love lost between judge Vermilla and myself I can tell you that Joel you threatened to reveal your clients not threatened Joel you suggested that you were going to reveal your former client's secrets I'll try with you something, something your law license is suspended yeah. you just walked out of a courtroom and violated a gag order oh no he didn't are say you I now going to reveal what happened to Stacy yeah I mean look at the question is not if, the question is how. That's, that, I think, is basically the conclusion I've come to. And that's what's going to happen. So uh, that's going to happen. Uh, out of... Uh, Are you willing to go to jail? Well, to well let's, put, let's put it this way. Out of, out of uh, not respect for uh, this, this particular judge, who unfathomably would not enter an order against somebody uh, gagging their First Amendment right and doesn't even uh, give them the right to, to speak up in court, it, it's, which is unfathomable. But out of respect for the legal system or the court, the court itself, I'm going to first file a motion to vacate this. Uh, and, but and, does this make you more inclined to reveal? Well, I was I was already very inclined to to, to reveal. I, so, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, Judge Bramella says, well, for my 42 years, right? I'll bet you in his 42 years, he never had a defendant go on national television and accuse, falsely accuse a lawyer who five years into his case of uh, uh, falsely of, uh, of, of, of uh, you know, in negligent representation when four courts, him, the appellate court, the Supreme Court, and the federal court have all said that I did nothing wrong. Can I ask specifically, is the information you have mm -hmm. enough to finally find Stacey Peterson? Look at, um, out of, like I said, out of, uh, out of not like I said, not, there's no, I, my opinion of Judge Bramilla is uh, just been reconfirmed. So, to be there, so that, but out of, like I said, respect for the, uh, the few fine judges that are out there, and there are a few, uh, uh, I'm going to first file the motion and set my argument, set the arguments out in writing and get a rule and get the ruling. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it's not, if it's not vacated, uh, 
then you know, in order to appeal uh, an order, one has to has to be a violation. Contempt order has to be a violation. So, but what's the answer to the question? Is the information you have enough? Well, I think I already, I, I, I already said that, didn't I? When, when you interviewed me before the order was entered, I, I already said that, right? You said it all again. I thought I said it on camera. No. I mean, sure? well, not, not as specifically. So what's the answer? Well, I, like I said, I, you said I said it off camera. Uh, you know what it is. I, I trust you. I think if you would repeat what I said to you off camera before this order was entered, uh, that uh, you would be 100% accurate. I, I, you know, you're a very trustworthy guy. That's why I talk to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, you realize this happens every day. There are attorneys who are challenged for their effectiveness of counsel. It's a common procedure for everybody oh, oh, who wants a new trial to say, my first lawyer didn't do a good job. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I agree. It's happened to me. Because he went on national television and did it more than once. So, you're protecting your reputation? As far as that goes, yeah, because I've had, look, I've had four courts. Uh, three, two appellate courts and uh, the federal district court in habeas, who have all said that all allegations of ineffective assistance are groundless, okay? Uh, you know, so that's, uh, what is it? that's uh, Vermilla, then three judges, and then seven judges, and ten, and the federal court. Eleven judges have looked at this, not one has said there was any hint of ineffectiveness. And then this guy's got the audacity to go on, okay, go on TV and, and, and accuse me like that. And um, no, uh, not just in his pleading that he filed, but on, on national TV, he calls it daily. Right? I, I, you know, uh, he thinks that I can, I got to sit here and, and take it. It's actually rules, though. And it's just not me, my bad feeling. The rules say so. So there you go. I have to admit that I was convinced that after the judge caught wind of Brodsky's interview, that he was going to issue a body writ and throw Brodsky in jail. But as of today, that has not occurred. As of the recording of this episode, Brodsky has just filed his interlocutory appeal, which is an appeal that takes place during litigation. He decided to skip trying to file a motion to vacate the order, which was probably the right move because that requires the judge to completely change his mind, which neither of us believed was going to happen. Interlocutory appeals have a much faster timeline than regular appeals. Brodsky has seven days to file his brief, and then the state has seven days to respond. So this is not going to take a long time to play out. Now, I'm going to leave you with this ponderable. If Drew Peterson didn't kill either Kathleen or Stacy, then what information is he worried about Brodsky coming forward with? The man doth protest too much, methinks. We will be keeping you updated on this historic case as it progresses. Let's get justice for Stacy.